Thank you for joining us. The Dacus Report is on the air to defend your religious freedom, your parental rights, and other civil liberties. And now, with the latest information, is your host, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Welcome to the Dacus Report. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Uh, On today's show, uh, we're going to talk about a lot that's going on around across the country in different states, uh, impacting religious freedom, the rights of parents, and help me talk about those other issues and, and cases. We have with us here uh, John Campbell, who heads up the uh, Mission Outreach Office for right. the Pacific Justice Institute. And uh, it's great to have you on the program, and I'm glad to have you as part of our team. Yeah, thank you, Brad. Great to be here and have a chance to get your take on a lot of issues that are facing religious freedom across the country. And, uh, and I also, John, I want to recognize that uh, you used to be a pastor for a good number right. of years. Uh, you've you've uh, served your time, <laughs> if you will. Uh, but we're really glad to have you uh, doing what you do, which is uh, helping us to connect uh, with people, their needs all across right. the United States. And uh, you're doing a great job. So uh, thank you for being part of our team. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. You know, and that's always a pr- privilege to be able to give back because my first experience was with PGI was from the, the pastoral position and being able to get the great resources that PGA offered for the needs in our community. Well, uh, we definitely try to do that. Uh, you know, just recently, uh, there's something big in the news that may have a big impact on, on freedom and liberty. Uh, Tesla's CEO, Elon Musk, That's right. he, he is now buying Twitter. That's right. So it, the e- Elon Musk, the president, founder, owner of Tesla, SpaceX, several other companies, has reached out to Twitter and tendered a deal which was accepted originally before there was a lot of controversy, was denied. It got accepted just uh, recently, and he has vowed to return free speech to the public marketplace. And we know, Brad, that this has been an issue, especially both conservative and Christian voices, even so much the Babylon Bee, which is an organization that's kind of done parody work about things, was banned from Twitter recently just for acknowledging that the Department of Health and Human Services uh, Administrator Rachel Levine is a biological male identifying as a female. So they identified that and were banned because of those comments. And and Elon Musk has vowed to return free speech. What's interesting is there was nothing untrue about what they said. That's right. Uh, It wasn't said in a way that was derogatory. It's just very factual. This is fact. Right. So... You know, I, I'm trying to I'm sort of puzzled by that because some people say, well, fact check, fact check. We need to. OK, that's factual. It's that's true. Right. That's right. Non-slanderous. So I'm really glad that Elon Musk is taking over because Twitter has been dominated by bigoted, mm-hmm. censoring, tyrannical people right. who started it off as this. Oh, we're all about free speech. That's right. And once they grew. And, and reached the point where they couldn't be challenged mm-hmm. in the free market effectively. Right. Then they pounced and they started censoring, censoring, censoring. They took uh, former President Donald Trump off Twitter. That's right. Uh, and he's not the only one. Right. Many have been just outright taken off Twitter. Uh, they've been censored, uh, banned. Uh, it doesn't matter if what they say is true. That's right. If it doesn't fly with the radical left ideology, they were being censored. And Twitter is a very powerful mode of communication. It's one of the most powerful on social media. That's right. 
uh, along with Facebook and, and YouTube and so some others like Instagram. Right. But uh, this is very, very significant. Um, I think that uh, it's going to play a major role in, in opening up the door for, for free speech. And that's where our hope is. And that's, you know, we, we can't pin all our hopes on Elon Musk, we, you know, but he has been an outspoken conservative and an advocate for free speech. In fact, saying that he hopes his um, detractors his critics would stay on Twitter because he thinks it's valuable to have that dialogue, which was exactly that all we've asked for. And it seems, as you mentioned, Brad, the the banning and the uh, removing free speech has typically been one sided. So even though President Trump was removed from Twitter, others, uh, radical militaristic regimes around the world still have valid Twitter, Twitter accounts. Yeah, so they were very discriminatory. That's they right. let the the uh, Ayatollah Khomeini you know, have his his Twitter account, but they take off the former president of the United States. That's right. So it was outrageous. Elon Musk, I think he's going to be a man of his word. I think he's going to open it up as what it is or what it started as, which is a free speech forum. Right. What's interesting is that many people say, "Well, doesn't the Constitution require it to be free speech?" Well, not exactly, because you know this is a a private company. Yeah. The First Amendment, free speech clause, free exercise clause, that only applies to actions of the government. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is is very alarming because, you know, we now have just a few companies that are in the area of communications Mm -hmm. and platforms for speech that way overwhelm any other speech modes of communication. The town square is like 0.001% of communications now. Right. Uh, over 90% of all communications with social media. So that's why this is a major game changer. The left would like to ideally snuff out any and all speech forums and totally censor so only their perspective goes out and they can lie and deceive all they want that way, which is what they do, you know, from the Russian hoax to all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Now, if we have at least just one mode of communication where people can communicate freely and openly right that will allow truth to get out and thwart the tyrannical fascist censorship that's right goals and upfront ideology of the the radical left and the democrat party that's right and it's so important as you mentioned because these kind of social media outlets have become the public forum and being able to allow that to take place is essential in a democracy uh, in areas of religious freedom, because that's always been a fear is, well, what can I say or can't say? Because am I going to get banned or removed? And the they call them community guidelines, but they're not transparent. And a lot of times it's just a generic broad. Well, you violated community guidelines without any clear indication of what that really meant. Yeah. So I think we're going to see uh, this is going to be an open door for free speech. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. And I hope uh, people take it, take advantage of it. As well as looking to other platforms that have opened up, like President Trump's uh, Truth right. platform, uh, which is exploding as well. Uh, I think that uh, we need we need more more than just one. We can't just rely on right. on just one platform like like Twitter. But that's great news. Yeah. The Supreme Court, I understand, is hearing uh, just heard arguments or right. uh, regarding uh, Kennedy versus uh, Bremerton. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting case. I understand this is about a football coach that wanted to kneel and pray. After the game was over. Right. So, you know, is is it acceptable to have an expression of faith as a as a potential public employee? And the idea that 
oftentimes we've seen in it tends to be football, but it's in lots of sports where maybe there's a gathering before game where where coaches would pray for the safety of all the players or for great sportsmanship, all applaudable goals and things that we would think are, are fantastic or at the end of a game and celebrating and and saying, you know, maybe they want to give thanks to God for safety or for uh, the ability to overcome, you know, in, in a game. But yet that has not been allowed. And so you've got a, I've got a coach in a situation where uh, they've said, you need to stop praying. And he said, this is who I am. This is part of my faith. And should I, just because I'm a public employee, have my right to pray removed? So what, what's the thoughts on that? As this goes now to case, Brad, I know that there's a couple of different perspectives, whether those that, that are opposing his ability to do that or those supporting his ability to do that. Yeah, it's interesting because at first blush, you say, well, it, he's a paid public school teacher, yeah. agent of the state, of the government. And this is a school event, if you will, football game. Mm-hmm. And so many people say, well, you know, you should allow him to kneel and pray and and, you know, heaven forbid some child may see him pray and and actually be near him praying and, and heaven forbid decide to pray themselves. You know, nice. uh, that's sort of that that attitude. But when we step back and look at it from a constitutional perspective, I right. think it, it's looked at differently. And that is just because someone works for the government doesn't mean they shed their First Amendment rights. And what was interesting was interesting and brought up is that, um, you know, had he knelt on one knee when the national anthem was playing, people would say, oh, that's his First Amendment rights. But if he kneels on one knee to pray, then suddenly it's like, oh, censor him. And what the court pointed out is that the the state, the government, cannot isolate religious speech. Hmm. That's state hostility to religion, a violation of the Establishment Clause. It shows state hostility. Uh, If they allow speech, it needs to be be neutral, number one. Number two, uh, does a reasonable person see him as representing the government? Mm. Absolutely not. Yeah, they see him as representing himself. It's after the game. Yeah, uh, he kneels to pray, uh, and also as far as kids participating, if, if uh, players want to join him, mm-hmm. pray. That's up to them. Right. No one's coerced. There's absolutely no evidence of coercion. No evidence of any child being punished or disciplined or treated differently. Given preferential treatment because Preferen- they yeah. prayed. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think. Looking at this, it's, I think it's a fantastic case. I'm very optimistic how it's going to turn out. Originally, the case as it was brought originally by the, the group that, that brought this case, yeah. they completely left out the free exercise clause. Hmm. Um, the whole religious freedom element of this case wasn't even pled. Wow. The Supreme Court saw this case when it came up on appeal. And they said, um, you missed something. You missed the free exercise clause. Yeah. And in all fairness, the Supreme Court in the past has sort of it has not, it hasn't given a lot of weight to the free exercise clause on speech issues. Okay. But uh, they sent it back down and says, we want to see the free exercise clause argued here. Yeah. It was, hint, hint, the court, you know, they, they got the hint, they, yeah. they brought it in, went all the way back up to, to the Supreme Court. So free speech is a big part of the issue, but religious speech, religious freedom, the free right. exercise clause is center stage and it could open a, a wonderful door right. for uh, freedom and liberty in many ways, like a teacher wanting to bow her head at the beginning of class before class starts. Yeah. As long as she's not preaching out loud and proselytizing, I think uh, that would pass based on the, the argument of the majority on the Supreme court, which I think is going to uphold 
the rights of this professor, uh, rights, rights of this uh, football uh, the, coach. The coach. Now, and when you talked about the free exercise clause, does Title VII play into this at all? Or is that what was originally argued? You know, was he being discriminated against because of his faith? Yeah, actually, uh, Title VII definitely is a part of it. And okay. people like need to understand, like, so on one hand, we have the Constitution, the free exercise clause, religious freedom protection. And that protects employees working for government agencies or any kind of government entity. Uh, but we had we had to adopt Title VII, the Civil Rights Act, because uh, we we want to protect religious freedom in the workplace for people who don't work for the government. Okay. So that's a part of Title VII, and so you argue Title VII for all employees, government and non-government. Okay. But then if you have a government employee, you can also argue the First Amendment, because it's it is the government. The Constitution applies the First Amendment to actions of the government or against government employees. Okay. So both have been argued. Um, I think the court will uh, look at Title VII. I can see them ruling that this violates Title VII. I also think they're going to rule that it violates the First Amendment of the Constitution, uh, which is okay. going to have a wonderful watershed effect on other cases uh, that I know, like, for example, the one that we at Pacific Justice Institute have undertaken uh, defending two teachers up in Grants Pass, Oregon, right. who were fired from their job because of their communication on their own time, mm -hmm. on their own website, right. about their own policies supporting um, religious freedom and conscience for teachers. So I, this is going to have a, a, a nice effect on a case that we've already won the first part of, and uh, we're moving full steam ahead. And Brad, help, help us understand, because so many of us who we've got a deep faith in Christ, uh, we feel compelled to let others know about the wonderful impact that Jesus has made in our life. And it brings up the whole question about faith in the workplace. How, how Sometimes there's fear, like he got fired from his job for this. Why, you know, how does that impact, you know, other people and expressing their faith at work? Well, you know, we right now at, at PGI, we're defending thousands and thousands across the nation, uh, employees. Yeah who have been fired or put on, you know, unpaid leave uh, because of their religious beliefs and convictions regarding the controversial COVID vaccines. Yeah. So uh, we have, have a, a long reputation of dealing with these issues. And we also, though, like to empower business owners. Right. So we produce this, this video, a training video called Faith in the Workplace. It's free out there for business owners. It's part one, part two. Combined, it's like, I don't know, less than 40 minutes. And mm -hmm. it talks about a whole smorgasbord of legal opportunities for business owners to get this, to legally evangelize wow. their employees, right. to legally evangelize their customers, right. to share their faith with their community, to partner with churches and ministries. Uh, it's very, very empowering. And another wonderful business organizations like Convene, mm -hmm. uh, FCCI, CBMC, C12 and others. Have actually brought us in to do this training right. that we do on that this video that is available without charge on our website, pji.org. And, and from a pastoral perspective, to be able to empower our our people in our church to share their faith—that is such a big deal. Um, and and to have the confidence in in someone like PGI to be able to say, "Here's here's what you can do," and and I mean, we want to win our community for Christ. Yeah, and there's so much, there's so much out there in the way of of rights. We just want to, we need to not just defend people's rights. We need to empower them yeah. so they know what their rights are. That's right. One thing we're recommending for pastors out there. I mean, maybe they haven't connected these dots. I'm going to connect it for them. Yeah. 
uh, what they can easily do. And if you're a pastor out there, just take note of, note of this. Or maybe you're a business owner. Take note of this. Talk to your pastor about it. But uh, maybe your pastor uh, can invite people who own businesses, small, large, people in business management, to come over to his house and watch part one and part two, have people take notes, and then have a discussion afterwards about, okay, what did you hear? What did you see mm-hmm. that you think you might want to implement in your business and why? And what are you thinking about doing? Have, starting a Bible study at the workplace, bring an outside speaker, start the Truth Project, uh, mm-hmm. bring in Mothers of Preschoolers program. There's so many different ways. Start short-term mission trips for employees and how to do it legally. Um, this is a great outreach opportunity where the pastor of a church can train the business owners yeah. to join the game, to actually start evangelizing and outreaching. And this can result in tremendous church growth. So I'm trying to speak to the yeah. that sort of that, you know, the immediate selfish nature, perhaps that pastors may have clergy, like how can it benefit me? Right. Well, how can it benefit you is you can grow your church. You can change a community. By, and change a community by bringing in uh, business owners and training them on how they can live their faith through their workplace. That's, that's fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic. And as a pastor, it, that's gold. Yeah. And in fact, I've been brought in by a number of, of large churches. Actually, they've, they brought me in Saddleback Church yeah. in Orange County, brought me in. Mariner's Church brought me in yeah. uh, to talk to their business owners right. about how they can implement and live their faith through the workplace, through their companies, through their businesses. And um, it's a great opportunity. And I encourage people uh, to take full advantage of it. And, and employees um, also need to, uh, right. to understand that when they watch this, they can learn all about a lot of things that they can do. Sure. Uh, even if they have a hostile employer. <laughs> well, that's, that, that's, and it's good news all around. And to know that, and as you've mentioned before, Brad, that this case, as we circle back to that, uh, we expect a good outcome because we have a Supreme Court that is friendly to faith initiatives, right? Oh, absolutely. We've got a, a great Supreme Court. Uh, I, I, you know, the credit needs to go to where, uh, to President Donald Trump, because um, that's where uh, he has made such a huge uh, legacy uh, for this country in terms mm-hmm. of who he's put on the Supreme Court. And we're taking full advantage of it. You know, although we have some great judges and courts, we still have growing atrocities in terms of religious freedom, persecution, and right. different ways. One of them is in a town called Moscow, Idaho. It just yeah. so happens to be Moscow, Idaho. I'm sure they didn't, um, I don't know. But, and there's a University of Idaho located That's in right. Moscow, Idaho. That's right. The United States. And I understand there's three Christian students who have been silenced yeah. uh, because of their faith, because of their perspective. What happened? Well, we've got three students who are also part of the Christian Legal Society, which I know you're a part of and, and yes. very familiar with Brad. And um, they attended an event that was pro-LGBTQ+. And as part of that event, they were, you could say, accosted or they were approached and asked, well, why do they have a traditional, classical, uh, evangelical view of marriage? You know, why does the Christian Legal Society promote one man and one woman? And they had a calm, rational discussion about that. Now, afterwards, it got back to the administrators at the school, and they censured these three students, Peter Perlow, Mark Miller, and Ryan Alexander, and they were uh, put under a no contact order for the students with which they had a dialogue with at this event. 
And because of that, they've brought, you know, religious discrimination case against the university, Brad. And it's just another example of you can't have wrong ideas. We're not, we're not allowed at universities to have a diversity of ideas and topics. And so how does this play out then, you know, in a school setting? And I've seen you encounter that multiple times. Yeah, it's interesting because public university is supposed to be the open marketplace of ideas. Right. That's how it used to be. Now, public universities, even private universities, for that matter, many of them, yeah. have become oppressive of, of ideas. Yeah. Uh, they the most intolerant place you can be hmm. now is at a public university. Uh, it is, it's such a crying shame for those of us who remember universities as a place for expression and, and uh, relaying ideas and exchanging ideas. Yeah. So this is a, a violation of, the, of these students' First Amendment rights. Yeah. They can't be silenced to not express their views just because the, these radicals who dominate the University of Idaho are so mm -hmm. leftist and intolerant and bigoted that they would just want to silence speech. Right. So I, I think these people are going to, I think these students have a great case. Uh, mm -hmm. Christian Legal Society, uh, I think, is, uh, is also you know, under attack. I think they have a great case. They're entitled to believe as they wish. If they believe what the Bible says, they should not be uh, persecuted like yeah. the former Soviet Union and banned from universities if they right. are caught acknowledging their Christian viewpoint and beliefs. That's right. So uh, this may be called That's Moscow, Idaho. Let's remember, it's not Moscow, Russia. That's right. Uh, it's, this is still the United States. And I think those, those students have a great case. I think they're going to prevail in the end. And it's so interesting that um, having radical ideas has become what's celebrated, but having, you know, a, a conservative ideas are no longer, you know, deemed as valuable anymore. Yeah, that's very, very true. Very true. And we have also have a book called Reclaim Your School. Yeah. Which was all about talks all about how students K through 12 have rights to evangelize and share their faith in public schools. That's available free download on our website, pji.org. Uh, it's very, very helpful. I uh, understand, uh, you know, in, you, we see like in Uganda recently, the, uh, the head of a, an Islamic school board mm -hmm. uh, came, became a Christian. That's right. Because a Christian owner of a business reached out to him. He came to Christ. Uh, he was persecuted. They burned down his house. Yes. They fired him, burned down his house. His life is on the line. This is Uganda. Much of Africa, when it's you know where we have mm -hmm. a, a northern Africa with a lot of Islam, Islamic, mm -hmm. they're very bigoted, very hate-filled. They persecute, they kill, they kill in the name of Allah, Ali Akbar. They they shout. Right. Uh, very dangerous religion in many parts of the world, um, because of the teachings of Muhammad, the teachings right. uh, of the Quran. Um, so, but this is a classic reminder, I believe, of just how important it is for the for us to go to bat for and defend uh, Christians who are being persecuted in other countries. A street preacher in the United, actually um, in London. That's right. This is not in the United States. This is in London. Yeah. I like to think of London, England. I used to work in London for several months uh, before going to law school. Uh, and I thought it was very civilized. Mm -hmm. But this street preacher was acquitted of hate speech. So he has criminal charges brought against him. Yep. For a sermon he gave on marriage, yeah. he classical evangelical uh, historical view of marriage. The Bible teaches that God created a male and female, and marriage is one man and one woman. Yeah, that's what the Bible says clearly, conclusively. That's if right. someone says they're a Christian, they believe in the Bible. There's no wiggle room on that. But Brad, okay. that's radical. 
That's radical speech. He he was deemed as being homophobic and um, you know hate. It was deemed as hate speech. He mm-hmm. was actually brought charges up on uh, against him for that. And thankfully, thank the Lord that he was acquitted of those charges. But the fact that they wanted to prosecute him for preaching biblical theology. Yeah, that's that Orthodox, Catholics, Protestants throughout the ages right. have acknowledged this is true. It's from the Bible. You can't escape right. it. So uh, wonderful man, wonderful Christian man. But this was treated as radical speech right. and uh, the, the criminal charges. Well, actually, they weren't dropped. He was acquitted. Yeah. Uh, but just think that the prosecutor in, in England has that kind of a mindset, the prosecution, that they would go after someone like this all the way to the end of a trial. That's right. Is horrific. That it just tells you where the United Kingdom is. And it's because of oppression like this by ideologues that now dominate that city. If your rights are being violated because of your faith, your convictions, contact us. Uh, we've got lots of offices here in California, and we'd love to go to bat for you at any time. Pacific Justice Institute invites you to join in the fight to protect our religious liberties. Consider volunteering in one of our California offices or become an affiliate attorney. Visit our website to find out more, pji.org. And while you're there, subscribe to our Legal Insider to keep updated on all of our current cases. Pacific Justice Institute. Together, we can make a difference. So folks, just remember, it's our God-given freedoms we're talking about. Now, let's choose to keep them. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Let's continue the fight for your freedoms. Thank you for listening in today. To find out more about the Pacific Justice Institute or the Dacus Report, call 916-857-6900 or log on to pacificjustice.org.